Sorry about that. I was muted again, even though I know I pressed the button. <laughs> Technology. It's... <laughs> but I had said, welcome to the Extra Credits <laughs> Book Club podcast. I'm Decker. This is Nightmother. We started a new book. <laughs> it's called sure Kingdom did. of the Wicked by Carrie Maniscalco. And boy, oh boy. We're in for a journey. We're in for four weeks of just some uh, some writing Ital italicized <laughs> some writing italicized writing in TM. this manner and in this manner <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's hard to know where to start with this book let's because... start with the dedications <gasps> of course because... yeah you had some strong feelings about the dedications <laughs> Because this book starts out with some of the most wild, <laughs> the wildest dedications I have ever seen in a book. Most of the time, it's either, you know, this book is for my mom. May she rest in peace or whatever. Or for my brothers. You know, usual stuff. They don't want to give mm. too much information. They just want the person who this book is dedicated to, to know. It's for them. Yeah. And that's all it really needs to be. But Carrie Maniscalco went above and beyond the call of duty with her dedications. She really did. Uh, after we get very spooky music. Right. The, mo the mood music. And someone whispering as above, so below 400 times. <laughs> yeah. Which because witches you know right and uh you know you can, apparently you can just co-opt that from the illuminati or whoever used it in real history yeah but the book is dedicated to her mama no her grandmother yeah her nonna <laughs> yeah her grandmother her aunt and her great-grandparents here who immigrated from Sicily and mm -hmm. whose restaurant provided much inspiration for this book. And as I heard that, I was like, I thought this was a fantasy book. What do you mean a restaurant inspired so much of this book? What could you, yeah. what could you possibly mean? And then... She hits us with this juicy tidbit. This may be a fantasy, but the love of family found within these words is very real. Heartwarming stuff. It is. It's a very heartwarming video. <laughs> uh, so right off the bat, I'm like, huh? What do you mean in a, a restaurant? But we How find does it out. inspire much of a book? We find out. Very quickly. Because in the prologue, uh, we get introduced to this fantasy world, which is really just Catholicism. A romanticized... Yeah, true. And her romanticized idea of what, like, 
an, a vague historical time period in Italy was like in her imagination. Because we're never really told, like, this book takes place in Palermo, which, which is, is in Sicily. Sicily. And, but we don't, I don't feel like we're ever told that this is not different from like regular Sicily. No. Like she doesn't say this is modern day, but like this is the subculture. Like we have witches happening like in the hidden realms, like around what's real. But it's just kind of like this fantasy version of Palermo, we think. And in my mind, it's like Amazon's Cinderella. Like it's people are wearing their little muslin dresses, but like there's no canals dug on either side of the road for like the shit rivers. Like it's just, right. it's very romance history. Yeah. It's <laughs> the glitz and glamor of history without any of the realities of like corpses and streets or. You yeah. Know. It's like the, the cosplaying that Marie Antoinette and her ladies would do like, within Versailles at like her little cottage that she built with her little chickens. And she had her little dresses that she wore for those things. Then she could go back and yeah. it was just, it was just like her little farm utopia. Just playing peasant for funsies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we're thrown, names are thrown at us. With almost a, uh, disrespectful disregard <laughs> yeah them. like we are thrown like you know when someone tosses you your car keys and you don't know that they've tossed them and you're just like oh jesus oh my god yeah. <laughs> that's the way that these names are given to us of amelia which i had to go back and look up three times and Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> Which one's the wayward out of the two? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and they're twins. They're, they're twins. eight. And given and it's their special birthday. special amulets. Yeah. Which they've had for a while. They were given these amulets as I wanna say toddlers. Maybe a I, couple years before. But it's like you're it's like a dark and spooky night in Sicily. These children are twins. They're turning eight. They're with their nonna, as the book will emphasize a thousand <laughs> times. Like, yeah, I, I have to make a quick note about the performer of this audiobook because she reads it in a oh, way boy. that is almost offensively earnest. Like she's English. But she wants to be Italian. Like the way that she like draws out Italian pronunciations for things is like almost it's like disrespectful. <laughs> but like so it, it's it sounds like it's read by like the worst kind of theater kid. You know, it I this unlocked something in my brain. I think around like chapter eight, and I haven't been able to unhear it since. But the person reading the book, when she's not doing her mozzarella, <laughs> she sounds like Rachel Weiss from Mummy. Yeah, she does. And I can't unhear and when, it. And when she does her 
her dude voice, she sounds like Eva Green when she's in like her occult and mysterious husky <laughs> tones. <laughs> Boy, you know, there's some. It, it... When some readers try to do the opposite gender in the reading, sometimes they just kind of change the pitch of their voice or like the cadence of it. But then there's some people who actually try to change their voice, and it, 100% of the time, fails. Yes. Don't do it. If you're ever thinking of becoming <laughs> an audiobook reader, don't do that. No. Like, with uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses, who read by the most monotone person of all yeah, time. It was read by like. Siri. Yeah, when she tried to do her dude voices, it was awful, but somehow hers are worse. Like, she was, like, very raw. Like, you could feel her, like, getting her chin, like, really deep into her neck. Like, yeah, you know you're not supposed to be in this room. Very raw. But with her, she just tries to do, like, this husky, hot dude Italian voice, and it just sounds, it sounds awful. It sounds almost Transylvanian. <laughs> yeah yeah like, like what accent is she doing she changes her accent for guys too you have to what are you doing here <laughs> yeah. and no no man sounds like that no and it's like the hotter that the, the person she's describing is supposed to be like the more affectatious her speech becomes it's <laughs> it's a choice it's a decision she made it and i wonder and, if, you know she committed <laughs> i wonder if like you know you get someone to read your audiobook and when they they get like i don't know samples and they're like that person sounds good then you hire them or your agency hires them or whatever and then you hear the finished product and you're like oh that's what they decided with okay well, it's too, too late, late to, to change that. Because <laughs> I can't imagine Carrie Maniscalco hearing Why have you summoned me? <laughs> and her being like, oh my god, that's him. Yeah. <laughs> that's my demon prince. <laughs> boy, oh boy. <laughs> but, uh, as we're being introduced to what amounts to Catholicism, if all of the stuff that they scare people with in Catholicism with was real, mm -hmm. including witches, demons, mm -hmm. witching hours, what, yeah. what someone can do with magic, don't bother explaining. I don't want to know. No, where does it come from? Who cares? Don't That's worry not interesting. About it. What goddess do we talk to and pray Such... to and are actually descended from? No, that's it how doesn't you know. matter. That's how you know that this isn't actually Catholicism because it's goddess, not God. Yeah, it's like a it's matriarchal a woman. line. <laughs> that's how you know it's different. But like which goddess are you descended from? Hey. This that's, this is one of the things that really got me mad immediately because they always talk about this goddess culture and shit and they're in literal Italy. Like you have a whole pantheon you can choose from. 
Like you can take the whole plagiarized Greek mythology that is Roman mythology Mm-mm. and you can be like, yeah, we're, de- we're descended from like Celine or like Diana yep. or fucking whoever. And they're like, no, 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 the goddess. And then anytime they reference any goddesses, they're like the storm goddess. Like, mm-hmm. did you do a modicum of research for this? Of course not. That's no. not what this book is about. Also, you can tell by the way that she writes about Italy and Italian things. Italian history is not something that particularly interests her. What does is the Renaissance. But even that is kind of... I like some of this stuff. I don't like a lot of this stuff. But like... Like Roman culture? No. That's not Italian. And it's certainly not Sicilian. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, we learn very early on, probably in the prologue, I think in the prologue, that uh, the Sicilian attitude towards the rest of Italy is the same as it is in real life where Sicilians think they are better than everyone else. They're real Italians. And the rest of Italy are just play play pretending. Yeah, they're basically not even Italian. Yeah. Just quit, quit, like, you guys, you guys don't know spaghetti and meatballs unless you have my mama's al dente. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of shit. And, but, she, really puts the oppressive like gives cause for that high and mighty attitude because witches come from sicily and nobody like the witches so they like you stay on your stupid island eh? yeah no like no witch clans or covens have ever existed outside of Sicily. I don't think. According to Or they do, but like we don't care about them. No, they're not real witches. No. Those are not Sicilian. Yeah. <laughs> but uh we find out at the very beginning that they're like these eight-year-old twins. It's their birthday. They're wearing these matching amulets that have like one is like silver, one is gold, and they're like doing these little protection rituals because they're trying to hide from demon princes who stalk the earth at night. They are creatures of moonlight and darkness. And they create, they do these rituals every year so that they will be invisible to these demon princes who supposedly are at, at both times stalking the earth, but also trapped in hell. And it's never really given, we're never really explained to how they're stalking the earth if they also are trapped in hell. But that's that's barely important. Because all that matters is like they can't touch their amulets together. Right. That's also classic Catholicism where you have to worry about two things that are contradicting each other. Where (laughs) like you Do I have to worry about demons literally stalking me physically at night? Yes, of course. But don't worry, because they're trapped in hell. But 
What if they're not? What if they're not? Like, what am I supposed to be scared of? Yeah. All of they're it. They're like, <laughs> everything all always. Never not be scared. Yeah. Constant vigilance. They're like, we're told that there are these seven princes of hell named after the seven deadly sins, of course. But the four that you need to worry about are wrath, greed, envy, and pride. And their grandmother's like, one will crave your blood, one will capture your heart, one will steal your soul, and one will take your life. And they're called the wicked. And the kid and these girls are obsessed. They're like, tell us more about the demon princes. Like we like we they know we're supposed hot. to be scared of them, but like, yeah, like tell them, tell us more about like their ebony eyes and like how they're how they've got like red in them and how their skin's like really hard and diamond like. And their 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 nonna is like never speak to the wicked. Never, ever, ever. Under any circumstances. Do you hear me yeah. the rest of the book? Under any circumstances. <laughs> yeah, and also they're told that like these amulets that they're wearing, these amulets that have been given to children are the only things keeping the demon princes trapped in hell. Hmm. Of all the witches, all the witches in the whole world, the only ones responsible for keeping these demon princes in hell are these two eight-year-old twins. Right. And their amulets that they can never touch. And if their amulets ever touch, that's it. Demon princes can escape. This is something that they bring up later that I have grievance with. Because if these two amulets are the only thing keeping these demons in hell, then whose fucking genius 4,000 IQ was it to give it to two people who are next to each other all of the fucking time. And share a bed. Share a bed. <laughs> so they could they could roll over in their sleep and touch and amulets. amulets just... <laughs> and then the gates of hell itself open up and they're like, ah, oh, finally. That's it. Oops. Yeah. Oops. And then of co of course if you tell a kid not to do a thing, they're gonna become obsessed with doing that one thing. Unless they were like me as a child and were obsessed with following the rules and were terrified of breaking <laughs> them. <laughs> but these kids, like Victoria, the wayward twin, she's like, she holds out her amulet to Amelia and she's like, just, just touch it. Just like hold it in your hand and touch it. And so she does. And then this like bla lavender black light. Lavender seems to be a recurring color theme in this book. Maybe because she thinks it's like, cooler than purple she's the, like well we're not gonna say purple it's a pastel color. yeah that's true <laughs> and it explodes out of their amulets and then they hear this hellhound they're like nah it's probably just like a dog though <laughs> and it was yeah. just like but we didn't like touch our amulets like i just held it while i was wearing mine but like probably nothing probably nothing bad happened but we find out immediately after that amelia can now see people's auras when she's touching her amulet. There's a name for it, and in my mind, it's just called a cornichon, which I know is French for pickle, but that's just what it oh. has become in my head. Yeah, it's I don't the, know what they're the, called. It's the concho bars. I don't know. They're it's, like it's the, <laughs> the Italian word that she uses every chance she gets. That sounds yeah. like a cornetto ice cream. Yeah. And I hate it. But 
listen, all of this doesn't it th this doesn't matter. Because now we're introduced to the most important part of the book. The family restaurant! <laughs> the main character of the book. The main character of the book. CN what's the name of the Who what's the name cares? of the restaurant? CN it's like <laughs> C to Sky Highway, the restaurant. Yeah. It might as well be say la vie. C and plate or something. It's something really dumb. It just sounds like a franchise. Like it doesn't sound like a like it basically sounds it's like the Sicilian equivalent of an olive garden. Yeah. Which is really what it is, because it's when you hear your family. Yeah. <laughs> uh but basically now that the family restaurant is introduced, everything takes a backseat for about four chapters. Three. Yeah. Three chapters. Everything takes a backseat. So that we can get uh like a dump truck backs up into your driveway and then unloads every it like the most annoying pushy Italian isms on you. Yeah. Every Italian ingredient naturally occurring Italian ingredient is mentioned Four over the next five times. Yeah. Per chapter. We got the limoncello. Also, yeah. We're 10 years in the future, by the way. We've, yes. We've catapulted ourselves 10 years later. And it's like Vittoria is late. They're preparing for dinner service, basically. Right. It's Amelia, her grandmother, no, not Maria, and their mother, her mother, the twins' mother. And they're like, where is Vittoria? That hoe is off with some boy named Domenico. Yeah. Marco. And we have like <laughs> the the most cliched Italian family dynamic. Like it is so boilerplate. I'm offended. Like yeah, the, on behalf of Italians. The Italian mother is like, "I uh where is Madonna? Where is she? Ay, uh, she cannot be out after dark." And the mother is like, "Ay, mama, please!" And it's just like, "Oh, oh my God, this is too much already." <laughs> mama, please. Yeah, they're like they talk about how this restaurant is is run off of simple ingredients and magic. So they're like a family of Italian kitchen witches. Um, oh boy! Oh boy! And. Basically, like this, their her twin is missing from dinner <laughs> service, and she, and then Nonna is like, she's been possessed by demons, and like then we're finding out that there's been these murders that have been happening, and there's right. like these other two Sicilian witch girls who have been murdered roughly two weeks ago, and how there's this legend okay and fucking nonna maria knows a lot about like why these princes are so bad to the point where i'm very suspicious about why she knows so much mm -hmm. and she's talking about how like these there's this legend that these seven princes of hell are gonna go looking for something that someone did to them who could it be but there's like this blood debt and it's like how do you know so much about this yeah and it's like 
what did like what did she do in her youth? Was she also transfixed by demon princes and wanting to like cavort with them? And so and that's why she's so worried about how Victoria could be off like like there's no way she's off with a regular human boy, Domenico. Um she's off being like killed by a demon for sure. Absolutely. Uh which is like this is why Nona is paid like just losing her cool, like making everybody nervous because she keeps pacing, and like it's it's at this point it felt like we weren't reading care like we weren't these aren't characters. This is just Carrie Maniscalco's family that we're reading about. It was like a very intimate doorway into her family life and i didn't yeah. like that because it's it's way <laughs> too much yeah it's like <laughs> someone someone when carrie maniscalco was telling like when she was first starting to learn like get into writing and that kind of thing someone had told her write what you know and she took that dead ass to heart yeah like oh no no that's I didn't mean like literally what you know. Like don't just write about your family, you weirdo. Yeah, but that's exactly what she did. That's exactly what she did. And she's like, no, we don't need to edit. Like, I'll just record us preparing dinner one night and I'll just transcribe it word for word. And my one of my notes for the first chapter is literally is this whole book going to be Carrie bragging about her family recipe. Yes. Because that's exactly what was happening. And it was so weird because I was like, what? I thought this was supposed to be a fantasy book. Yeah, and she's even like, this is a fantasy book. Don't you worry, but I am going to talk a lot about my family's restaurant. Of course it's fantasy. They're using a magic to make it a mozzarella. Yeah, but the, the thing is like... Yeah, they don't even talk about how they use magic no. in the restaurant. They're like, mm, like they're supposed to be. She makes this big thing about it. Not we're not like witches who just like infuse energy into things. Like we know actual magic, but when they're cooking, they just like bless the food. They're like, mm, I'm so grateful for this food, and like that's their <laughs> magic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just send it out with a little bit of posy feels, and that's about it. But she's like, but we're like actually descended from like maybe, a goddess. Maybe not like those other non Sicilian witch maybe families. Maybe that's the Italian magic is the mamma mia, what a dish. It's a blessing. That's why it tastes so good. Um Ooh, but we're also introduced to another character in the first chapter. Fratello Antonio Vincenzo Bernardo. He's a monk. Oh, right. And our place. our main character's childhood crush. Right. And boy, oh boy, do we ever wish he didn't pledge himself to Jesus mm -hmm. because apparently he's real fine. Which probably and means he he's, he's all right. Yeah, he's probably he's probably okay. Probably has nice hair. But um he shows up because I guess Amelia a couple times a month will make dinner for all the boys at the monastery. So He's come to escort her to the monastery. And Nonna is like, absolutely do not go tonight. There are demons. There's also some kind of celebration happening. There's like a festival going on. 
people are preparing for this like religious festival and she's like i'm definitely gonna go make dinner for these guys like i'm not gonna pass up an opportunity to hang out with fratello antonio and nona is having a an absolute meltdown and shrieking in the kitchen like she's having a full-blown professionally hired greek funeral mourner Yes. moment in the kitchen oh. <laughs> like she hears dishes like breaking pulling out her hair like beating her chest like there's it's... a lot going on but no less than four times in this chapter over the course of her uh, Amelia mm-hmm. Amelia's conversation with uh, Francesco Franchisi, pepperoni, slam dunkaroni. <laughs> um, yeah, him. She mentions, oh, if only he hadn't given himself up to the Lord. By the way, it's mm-hmm. a real shame that he gave himself up to the Lord because if he hadn't. <clears throat> yeah, she's like, I'm having some real unsisterly thought towards yeah, you. I forgot Fratello. about that. <laughs> I forgot about that. She, she's like, I, he treats me now more like a sister. But I have mm-hmm. more, I have very unsisterly thoughts about him. And I wrote down that um, unsisterly thoughts doesn't sound like you meant it to sound, Carrie. No. It's very, step bro, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> step Fratello, oh my god. Yeah. Put the tomato down. Don't throw the mozzarella at me. That bro, I'm stuck in the wine press again. <laughs> and they're like cooking together. So they walk to the monastery. They're cooking. They're flirting. They're throwing little slices of tomato at each other. And we're getting a little bit of more information about the like how we're getting the bare fucking minimum amount of information about magic and witches and shit where we are found we were told that there are 12 other families but they can never interact because witches are still being burned at the stake basically according to her like they're just they would be in mortal danger if anybody found out that they were witches so they can't talk to the other witch coven families they're true daughters of the moon (laughs) but we're never going to mention which moon goddess even though there literally is a moon goddess in greek and roman mythology but fuck her anyways and there used to be this coven in palermo and nonna was the head but they disbanded after somebody dabbled in the dark arts and it went horribly wrong and and then we find out also that like when she was a kid, she used the do you like me yes slash no spell on Antonio to find out if he had a crush on her. Yeah. And then she got in big trouble for that because she was like, oh my God, Nonna, I asked Antonio Vincenzo Bernardo if he likes me. And he said yes. And she was like, how dare you? <sighs> um. But uh, they're interrupted while they're cooking by a, a sinister voice echoing through the halls of the monastery yelling like heathens and Amelia's like oh my god someone knows I'm a witch and it turns out it's just like her bad girl sister Victoria she's yeah. shown up to like play a little joke on them yeah just Victoria like pranks <laughs> shows up and she's like boom scared ya stupid idiots fucking gotcha <laughs> 
Yeah, and and they're like, like, hey. Oh, oh, wow, you really did get us. And then yeah. she proceeds to <laughs> de deliver me another point of contention that I have with young adult novels. Is that it seems like every young adult author has either no siblings or a very inappropriate relationship with the <laughs> yeah let's hope it's that they're only children because after Victoria does her little boo gotcha routine uh Marco Francesco Italiano uh, de Frenzi mm -hmm. leaves <laughs> mm -hmm. and then she's like Victoria you stupid bitch you can't be scaring people like that especially me your sister, your best friend, too. <laughs> and she's like, oh, uh, did I scare away your boyfriend? And then she yeah. makes, like, several very inappropriate remarks, like, you should go get naked and tease him, or, like, slip into his bed. And I was like, what yeah. is it? <laughs> Ew, stop! Like, get naked with him in a bath of holy water. I was like, if my sisters and I ever talked to each other like that, I would be dead. Like if my sister, if any of my sisters Hello, ever CPS? said that to me, please come take me away. <laughs> like, never it's, it's... in my life have me and my two sisters, who are close-ish in age with me, spoken like that to one another. Right, and it's uh, it's so bad. It's bad. Yeah. Like they clearly, clearly, like clearly, the author is going for their close so they can tell each other anything. But there's ways to do that that don't make me go. This is gross. Yeah. Don't. Like you never want to talk about your siblings actively fucking anybody else. Like no. that is just no go territory. None of my business. And uh, please spare me. <laughs> I don't need that rattling around up here. No, no, we don't need that. But, uh, like but they, she goes off. As as is with a lot of this book, anytime any kind of plot happens, like something pertinent to the actual story of the book, that happens for two, maybe three paragraphs before the book goes, stop! We haven't talked about cooking in a while. So they go yeah. back to cooking. Yeah, we haven't talked about my homemade balsamic and and how like oh there the smell of thyme was wafting in the air in the monastery. I wonder what would happen if I infused thyme in olive oil. Like every moment we get to talk about fresh Italian ingredients, we get it. It's yeah. like <laughs> it's time well spent. Uh, yeah, and I wrote down. Because because this this particular family of witches, all of their magic is related to making food that just mwah, that much better. Uh, I I wrote in my notes that these women, Italian women, who is already a culture known for having women who are very passionate about cooking Italian dishes. Mm -hmm. So to have these women, Italian women having magic and it seems to be all of their magic is wrapped up in the art of uh bougieing up food 
mm-hmm. seems to be the most How? offensive thing know. I've ever come across. <laughs> because it's like yeah. she took a stereotype that whether it's true or not is still a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And then put fantastical magic behind it. It's almost like saying a Native American's power comes from their fucking headdress. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, kitchen witchcraft is a thing. Like it's a dis- it's a discipline of witchcraft. But my point of contention is that they are so adamant about the fact that they're not just your basic bitch normal practitioner like they have literal moon powers from a literal moon goddess but never never are we told at any point what kind of spells they're doing with the food what kind of rituals they have around the food it's literally just that they have fresh ingredients and they're fucking obsessed with herbs yeah and that's about it it's very bibbity bobbity boo yeah uh, and basically, like the after Vittoria is, is like endlessly mocking Amelia about Fratello Antonio, she's like, "Let's go back to the restaurant, and steal a bottle of my limoncello, and we'll like go read our diaries and gossip together." Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's also like Vittoria's like, "I need to get a bottle of my limoncello," and. And then she's like, also, I have to go back out. And Mm -hmm. Amelia's like, but you can't. There's evil lurks outside. Yeah, we can't go out after I don't care. I wish evil would come try and get me. And she's like, (laughs) oh, my God, Victoria, you can't be saying stuff like this. She's like, whatever. I'm a free spirit, free will, and I don't give a shit. Yeah. So she goes anyway. What to do? Yeah, like, my only notes for chapter three are that, like, the sun was as red as the devil's blood that morning. And then it's literally just them talking about the organizational failure on the witch's part to give the only protection against the demon princes of hell to two children who share a bed. Yeah. (laughs) Even as teenagers, like, they still share a bed. How is it that their amulets have never touched? Except for that one time where they definitely did, but they're never talking about it. And now Amelia can see Oris. And Victoria is in a boot. Yeah. She didn't come home, or like Amelia's like, oh, she, I guess she didn't come home, or she got up early before me. Yada, yada, yada. But by now, you should know. If you if you've listened to this podcast and our books that we've done before, you already know. If you've ever read any young adult book ever before, you already know Victoria's fucking dead. Yeah, as a doornail. Yeah, murdered. There's no. She can't survive. She's too free willed. She's too precate. Now, <laughs> precocious, precarious. Let me ask you this: Is because this book is basically um, a cry for help from a recovering Catholic? <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm a witch now. Um, is was Victoria like in a on a subconscious level? Was Victoria murdered 
because she was not chased because she was dabbling in things that she was told not to and she said fuck you i come home when i come home bitch yeah i think because one of the twins needed to die for this story to take place right. so it had to be the one who was more like asking for it right right <laughs> if we're gonna go victim blamey yeah she was asking for it she knows what she's yeah. doing with those fucking short skirts <laughs> yeah it's fucking late nights in the limoncello but uh amelia is like i'm gonna go look for her because it's weird she's not here yeah and also she well we have to tie food back into it i left my balsamic back in the monastery so i have to go get my balsamic because that is the only thing that i care about in this life so she goes back to the monastery but she's talking about how, like, of course, the shortcut to the room she was in before these catacombs lined with mummies. Right. Now, is that a thing? Like, she's like, there's like a darkened corridor lined with mummies wearing clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, they got to choose their own outfits when they were mummified, which is a very important point we needed to know. And she's like walking down this hallway amongst these like dr like fucking bougie mummies that are dressed in their like italian <laughs> finest when i go and she like <laughs> put me in my most fire outfit oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> make sure i'm buried in my louboutins and she's like i'm being followed i hear rustlings of fabric outside the drafty breeze rustling these mummies fire outfits and of course it's a pigeon but then it's not right and she and hears like a boot scraping now and she's like, i wrote down because this was very strange to me because she knowingly went into catacombs where she knew they kept dead people and then she got spooked and then seemed almost flabbergasted that she was spooked like she could not yeah. believe that such spooky things were occurring. And I was like, You you're walking to a fucking catacomb, you idiot. Yeah, with mummies, literal mummies. Yeah. And she's like, But I don't actually believe in the demon princes. Like, I don't think they're I don't think the demons are real. I think they're like a, an old wives' tale. I think nonna is just like being really dramatic. But then like at the first sound that she doesn't recognize, she's like, I'm being followed by a demon prince. Yeah, he's coming for my ass. Yeah. She uh, like comes across this room. Yeah, she comes across a room that has like some dudes just in there and she's like, ooh. There's candles everywhere. Who's in There's there? this shrouded body on a like a little pedestal and this like very what she describes as a fine gentleman. <laughs> like like bent over her. And she's like, oh, this must be like a man saying goodbye to his beloved. She creates this headcanon and projects it all over what she's seeing. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, yeah, he, but she's like, oh, but like, why is there like ritualistic candle circles happening around here? She's like, he must have really wanted to say goodbye in like a meaningful way. And then that he like dips it. his, yeah, he like dips his finger in the, in like the blood of the, she's like, oh, there's blood. I'm not sure how I feel about that. And he like dips his finger in and has a little taste and she starts shrieking. 
she's like yeah, oh she no. immediately flies off the handle and like bursts through the curtains and she's like you freak <laughs> yeah step away from her or i'll scream as she's like screaming and i wrote down uh after her outburst that um she's upset because blood is not al dente <laughs> Yeah, it's not infused with time. Right. It doesn't have the, like, brushed bay leaves are not, weren't in there. And frankly, you're going to ruin the bolognese if you don't put those in. <laughs> yeah. The oregano is nowhere to be found. And no, she, like, you, is touching. oregano. Sorry. Oh, God. Oh, I think it's called a cornicello. The animal. Yeah, that's what it is. A cornicello. She's, she's clutching it and she's <clears throat> looking at him. She's like, oh my God, his aura is black, but like there's like little gold flecks in there. Ooh. And then he like turns around and she's like, the heat from his gaze almost singed my dress off. <laughs> so she's like fanning herself. And he says, she says his voice is like a serrated blade wrapped in silk. Right. And right. how the body on the table is calling to her, but who could it be? Who could this body belong to? It reminded me of a little book called A Court of Thorns and Roses. Now, in that book, <laughs> there's a point in the story where a giant wolf man ex literally explodes through a wall. Uh and I Batman believe <laughs> I believe no, he doesn't rip anybody to shreds, but he's going to. And the main character is like, ah, my family's in danger. But fuck, dude, that wolf man. I'd let him do filthy shit to me. There's something in his eyes that just would make me feel like he could do whatever he wanted. And this has the same energy as that. Like she sees someone who's literally tasting blood. Of a dead person, and she's like, "Ah, stop!" But wait, <laughs> yeah, I'd let him. Your aura, whoa! It's getting hot in here, and it can't be that hot because it's catacombs and it's ice cold down here. <laughs> yeah, but like your gaze, wow! And he gets scared. He doesn't. Well, she thinks he gets scared. I yeah. doubt he's scared. But he's he... really just like. Okay, scream then. Bye. Yeah, he drops a blade by accident. Like, I don't think there's a way he... I don't think he was literally frightened enough that she... He drops this dagger, runs out the door, and then she finds out that this person looks awfully familiar, so she, like, pulls back this shroud. Yeah, she recognizes her own the, face. the silhouette, apparently. Yeah. She's like, oh, I just have a feeling that I know this person under the shroud. And she rips it off. And then he gads. It is Victoria. And, and then, I like that they brought the mood music back in for this part, though. Yeah, the mood music is actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one redeeming quality of this book. But I made note because chapter five involves Amelia spiraling into hysteria. <laughs> Yeah. But the important thing to note is that while she's like losing grip on reality, spiraling into nothingness, she's completely, throwing up. Yeah. She's barfing. She's style. everything 
that someone who just saw something horrific would do. Yeah. But she is 100% <laughs> lucid of all of the ramifications of her dead sister. What it means for the family. What it means for her. <laughs> what it could mean for the entire city. And I'm just like, no, that's not what I'm thinking about. No. She, she like, has three seconds of, like, she's, like, throwing up and also thinking about, like, these ramifications on the town. And she's like, oh, my God, her heart was cut out. And she's, like, puking. And she's like, there's crimson chasms <laughs> in her body. And she's like, the, the word murder clanged through me like a death knell. And then she just immediately goes into vengeance mode. Like, she takes no time to process. She slices her hand, and she's like, I will make whoever did this pay! And, like, sprinkles blood and vanishes into the night. <laughs> yeah. Which is a big shift in character to everything we know about Amelia to this point. Like, right. her personality is a blank slate to be changed with whatever motivation the author wants her to have in that interaction. Mm -hmm. Because from all we know about her, she's like, ooh, the quiet nerd who reads her little romance books at home while they're twins out fucking. And like, just not, all she dreams about is owning the family restaurant and what? like daydreaming about time and olive oil. This flip-flop of personality, this isn't the last time we see it. Certainly not. She, within a sentence, will change her personality two and three times. Yeah. And it's insane. It's madness. This book is insane. Yeah. But. Yeah, she like. I think like immediately. Oh, that's right. I didn't pay attention to the next two chapters because I was writing like a fucking dissertation on how all of the there's a trend in young adult novels that the tragedy that befalls the main character never seems to be with purpose it's always pure happenstance mm -hmm. it like by accident by random chance there's nothing about it like the inciting incident that makes the the hero rise to the occasion is never something that should happen like in 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 the sense of storytelling i don't mean like obviously your sister shouldn't be killed i mean in the in terms of storytelling like would how is it that the death of her twin sister is precisely what was required to make her go, Damn you! I'll kill whoever did this! Yeah. And it's like, what else could have, like, surely that's not the only thing. Or is it just that they really need something horrible to, to rattle their cage? But, like, you're the writer. Like, you, you can tell these people what to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's like any external incident will be enough to change everything Anything. about their life to that moment. Everything but, is different. Who they were yesterday matters not because 
something happened today that changed everything. But and this happens on like a daily basis. There's also like this weird. For all intents and purposes, the the hero's life has changed inexorably. Mm. Like it's gone from night to day. This person's twin, her like physical mirror image is now dead. And coping with her sister's death is not about coping. It's just my sister's dead now. And now I must exact revenge. And I'm like, this is madness. This is not how this works. You don't just flip a switch and become vengeance man. No, like that's a fundamental personality trait that shifts. Like, and, and she's like marveling at the fact that like when she comes home after. It's like the same with her fucking nonna. Like she comes home. And the the Nona is just like, what happened, Bambina? And yeah. she's like, oh, your worst fear. But it's like, as soon as one, as soon as she actually dies, it's like Nona is fine. She's suddenly not shrieking, having meltdowns anymore. She's just there to take care of everything and right. like make her little spell candles. Like it's like the whole family just wants to move on from this with these new personalities as quickly as possible. I and, got the impression that Nona secretly wanted Vittoria to be dead so that she could be like, I told you so. Why didn't <laughs> you listen to me? Yeah, she needed she wanted the vindication more than she wanted to actually save her right. grandchild. And like, um, like they these characters like cope or adapt to their new situations inhumanly fast. Yeah, as they're melting down and reacting to right. even, the tragedy. Even uh in in Thorns and Roses, like she she she's like, Oh, I'm a prisoner here at this house. Okay. Where's like a room I can paint? Yeah. Can I paint now? Also, can I see your face? I bet you're hot under there. <laughs> yeah, let me take off that mask. Uh so I actually don't know what happened in chapter six because i was like dribbling away i was like ah! <laughs> i'm it's furious okay. i took a lot of notes and honestly a lot not a lot happens in chapter six um we just get a lot of like italian emotional drama we get um Amelia marveling over the fact that even her beloved books and her escapes from reality can't distract her from being sad over the death of her twin. And she's right. like, why? Why does this happen? And then now Very... we're finding out a little bit more about like this blood debt that like the nonna has like all this insider information about. Um, we're, we're told about this. A little bit is underlined because when you say a yeah. little bit, she's like, and Nona basically says, there's a blood dead. And you're like, okay, go on. And she's like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. We find out about this character named like La Prima. We don't know who this is. Oh, right. That, but they made this deal with the devil. And once like the prophecy is like now in, in motion, when, when witches start dying, it's like, hide your kids, hide your wives. Like there's like, keep your daughters inside the demon princes be back. Amelia starts doing this little like Betty move from Riverdale. Where she like digs her nails and really hard to the palms of her hands. Cause she's like, so yeah. she's just so distraught and, and there's a darkness inside of her maybe. 
and uh she's not like she decides yeah she decides this is amelia's another personality shift with amelia she decides she's going to become number one witch detective and she's like okay so what did i see when i found my twin sister with her heart carved out on that thing she was wearing a very expensive white dress what could that mean oh she was definitely having a secret wedding with dominico (laughs) this boy she was just making out with from time to time she's like white dresses weddings of course like she becomes the immediate worst detective of all time yeah and we're also finding out that like we're told earlier in the book She's like, I got to find out what happened to my dead sister. And it's like, why don't you then go read the diary that you know your sister kept? Because a few chapters ago, you were literally holding it in your hands and reading it to try and find out who this boy was that she was making out with. And then, but she's like, no, 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 no. Like, I got to retrace my steps. Like, I got to go, I got to get into the dark arts. Yeah. (laughs) I immediately, instead of like taking, logical steps to find out what happened she's like i know black magic yeah she finds the dagger that this the fine gentleman uh with the black aura left at the scene of the crime and and for whatever reason she doesn't suspect him in the murder she's like i gotta find him because I got to find the, like the person who knows more about this unique dagger he has, because then I'll find him. And then I can ask him about the murder of my sister, but he can't have done it. It doesn't like, it's not factoring into her investigation that he's at any way involved in her murder, which is baffling to me. (laughs) But then like, uh, that's literally all that happens in chapter six. And then at the beginning of chapter seven, she says this thing where she's like, I imagine myself burning, not like my ancestors who were burned at the stake because just in case you forgot, I am a witch. And it's right. like, she'll bring in all of these like witchy analogies so that we don't forget. Yeah. Uh, my first my first note of uh, chapter seven was, uh, yeah, yeah, Victoria's dead. But what about the restaurant? Yeah, we haven't heard about the restaurant. I have, to, I have to know about the restaurant because immediately in chapter seven, they're like plow through details. Like a week has gone by, two weeks or something. I think it was three weeks. Yeah. And they're like, three weeks later, Victoria, we buried her. And then some other stuff happened. The police looked into it and now we're getting ready for the restaurant. Okay, now let me tell you about what we're doing for dinner service tonight. <laughs> yeah and i was like oh thank god we're back at the restaurant huh i was getting worried what are they gonna do for dinner service <laughs> yeah what fish was gonna go with the mozzarella yeah but uh while they're cooking because that's important um mm-hmm. and in between descriptions of what is being cooked um amelia mentions that the police kind of just like lumped her sister's death in with similar crimes of that nature and she's like (laughs) how dare they lump her in with crimes that are exactly alike and i was like you answered your own question yeah and then right after that she's like they they stopped stopped asking questions yeah young women died life resumed such is the way of the world at least according to men (laughs) like i was like what do you mean according to men how she doesn't elaborate on that 
but she's just like all police officers are men and, and they are the ones who decide how the world goes <laughs> i'm like whoa it was yeah a, you showed the that, patriarchy yeah it was at that moment <laughs> where i said oh carrie maniscalco has got a tiktok <laughs> yeah oh yeah well you know she's on book talk like yeah all the time she's on witch talk this is probably where she did all the research a hundred percent she's <laughs> she's read no she's she's had no like magical training whatsoever but she like she now has decided that like vengeance is a part of her as real as her heart or her lungs and the way that she's gonna go about her like very thorough detective work is just by like prowling the streets at night like vigilante style like looking yeah. for clues she's like hmm, batman what's out of place here <laughs> standing on roof palermo at night <laughs> waiting for crime <laughs> yeah uh, but there's also like she barely barely digs deeper like she just like kind of does cursory shifting through vittoria's things and then she's like wait she was meeting these people she was doing this and i wrote like oh you mean that the brash uh impulsive free spirit isn't the saint that they invented after she died yeah Weird. imagine that but that's so italian too like in the sopranos uh tony <laughs> tony's mom who hated his dad after he yeah. died he's like he was a saint yeah <laughs> It's yeah, we're all shit. just moving like, along. As soon, as, love as, soon as someone's dead, all terrible deeds they've done are free and clear. They rise to sainthood. They were perfect yeah. in life, and they'd never hurt anyone or do anything wrong. No. Um, this chapter as well was a really great example of the the language that the author uses so that people will describe her prose as beautiful. Like she puts <laughs> yeah. so much into it that it's unreadable. Like she talks, she's doing these wistful rememberings of like the hobbies that Vittoria would have when they were children. And the, and it's only exacerbated by like the amount of like, just feel like too much feeling that the person reading the book puts into it. But she's like, Victoria used to make these creams and perfumes and she had these lifelong friendships with Claudia, the dark arts practitioner. But she's like, I used to love when she infused her own oils to make special soap or creams and just goes off about like Victoria blending these ingredients to make sauces and floral notes and citrus touches like in these things that she made. And like, let's put as many descriptive words into a paragraph as possible so that like, yeah. People and will say it felt nice to look at. Full disclosure. Anytime Carrie starts doing that shit, I zone out. I My brain stops listening. I can't sit here and listen to your purple prose about fucking Limoncella mm -hmm. anymore. I won't. Yeah. I, I start quoting care. it in all capital letters. <laughs> Oh my god. But like she's it just sounds like a Riverdale version of Sicily. Like where everyone's yeah. like kind of using cell phones but we're not convinced that they like they're like we're not convinced they don't have them. They want just like the historical aesthetic. 
Yeah. Like, it's hard to, like, what time does this take place in? Doesn't matter. They're wearing, like, bodices. Bodices and skirts. Yeah. That's all Muslim you need to know. Dresses. But she finds Vittoria's diary. Finally. Yes. Yes. She's like, how will I begin my investigation? I'll, I'll prowl the streets at night. Oh, wait, my twin had a diary. But it turns out that Vittoria used special don't read my diary magic on it. And the pages are all stuck together. Right. And my... she's like, it must be dark art. So her, her plan, uh, Amelia's plan to find out what's in her dark magic sealed diary. Okay, get this, right? Genius <laughs> plan. Foolproof. My sister sealed her book with the dark ministrations of the black arts so mm -hmm. in order to counter that i'll just do the same thing yeah she decides that she's gonna go and talk to her she has this friend claudia that we don't ever speak to but we know that her family practices the dark arts Right. So instead of going to her friend, she goes to her friend's aunt, who is like the teacher of all things dark arts. And she like has this stall in the market because of course there's a market with stalls. And she shows like these pages from a grimoire that she found that Victoria owned. And she brings like the diary and these grimoire pages to, I think her name is Carolina. Mm. And Carolina's like, do not come to me with this demon book. Ah. And she's looking at it. Like, this is a summoning spell. Victoria used a summoning spell on a demon. Um, and she runs into her, her nonna on the way to the market. And somehow nonna knows, like, exactly what she's going to do. But she doesn't say anything about it. They don't have a conversation. She's yeah. just like, why are you in the market? And Amelia's like, don't worry about it. And she's like, Mind fine. business, nana. Yeah, and then she leaves. And then, so she decides that she, her sister must have summoned a demon to magically seal the pages of her diary together. Yes. So she has to summon a demon to unstick the pages. She's literally going to do the one thing she's been told not to do her whole life, just to open a diary. Yeah. The only way she can think of, even though she's descended from a literal moon goddess, there's no magic that can open a diary except to summon a demon. Look, <laughs> this all makes sense, okay? Because if you come across a safe that's locked and you don't know the combination, the only way to get it open is to blow up the whole safe with as much explosives as you can fit on it. Yeah, true. <clears throat> That's a standard operating procedure. Like, oh, someone, you know, there was, you know, fighting small arms wars with nuclear weapons. It's <laughs> obvious. Yeah, the only solution. The final solution. <laughs> oh, that's the... Holocaust thing. Yeah. Not the final solution. <laughs> I was like, as soon as you said it, I was like, wait, that means something else. Yeah, it means something <laughs> completely different. <laughs> but 
she makes up her mind to do it very quickly and then enacts that plan even quicker. Yeah. Because she like and there's immediately like she finds out how to do it, slams the book shut, and then runs down to the catacombs to start doing it. Yeah, she goes to this like sea cave and but there's this one sentence, there's a couple sentences that like in this conversation she's having with her Nona the night of like they're like planning dinner service, of course, and she's has she has this plan to summon the demon later that night. But it really just perfectly encapsulates like the type of writing she does. And like she's like, little did she know I've been cultivating this idea since last night. I'd taken the bud of a plan and tended to it, urging it to blossom. Now it was full grown. I knew what I had to do. Like, there's no reason why those sentences need to exist, but that is how the entire book is written. She what? thinks that, like, it's just, ooh, a beautiful metaphor for her ideas. Yeah, what it was is, I, I think Carrie Maniscalco has the purple prose affliction. Mm -hmm. She can't write anything without having it be purple, which, for those of you who don't know, Purple prose is when someone spends two, three paragraphs for saying something very simple. Mm -hmm. And they just use flowery language, uh, massive words, overly descriptive actions, like wasting so much page space to say she walked across the, the room. And it's frowned upon like no one likes purple prose well it's lavender prose in her case right <laughs> uh but i think what it was was that her as a writer she realized that amelia had set her sights on this plan mm -hmm. and then like worked it out way too quick so she decided to like write around the fact that she came up planned and then set plan in motion faster than people can even be like okay what do i need to do yeah in a day in one yeah. calendar day she decides to event like open a di like, summon a demon after a lifetime of being told never summon demons and believing it but she runs into one obstacle and is like, I have to summon a demon. I have yeah, no choice. It's my only option. Mm -hmm. And it's very, it's lazy. Because there yeah. are ways to not do that. There are ways to expedite a problem. Like if you need her within the context of the story, if you need her to summon a demon, there are ways to be like, okay, this is the only way I can do it in the time frame that I need to do it in. Mm -hmm. But she instead sets up that she's planned all this out. She has like, like it, it has blossomed from a bud, which is so obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Grief, grief has carved her in half, yeah. and fury has honed the pieces into a weapon. But anyway, but she's like, she's like, starting to lust after this guy a little bit. 
she's like, mm, that fine gentleman, he had really nice clothes. I should probably go look for him. Well, asking you shall receive. Because the dump, the, the demon that she summons is him! Can you believe it? It's really shocking. Like, you would never expect it. Uh, my only note for chapter 9 is, wow, evil's hot. Super hot. And shirtless. Because the only, thing, the only thing that happens in this chapter is that she summons this dude and he's like, Can I Hey, help how you, you doing? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh, It's him. I can't believe it. It's the man, the blood sucker. Yeah. She, like, but it's funny the way that she tries to go about summoning. She's, what she thinks she's going to do is summon a lower level demon. And everything in this ritual that she sets up goes wrong because she has no fucking clue what she's doing. Right. She has like this circle set up. She's got her special animal blood that she's going to use as like the offering. But then all these bats come out and she's like, oh no, bats! And like drops the vial. Blood goes everywhere. She can't use it. So instead of using animal blood, she uses her own blood. And like, she's like, and like, as these bats are coming out of the cave, like her hair comes unbound. Oh no. And her luscious curls are tumbling over her shoulders, despite the fact that like literal bats would be stuck in her hair, but that's not important. Her hair oh. is unbound. She slices her arm. She decides to summon the demon. She has no fucking clue what kind of like protects protections she needs to have in place. She's, she's created her own latin sentence to bind this demon she's like i got all the fucking caveats covered nothing bad's gonna happen i have my phrase i have my animal blood and then he she like starts talking immediately about the fact that she's like "Ooh, like i summon demons now so like i should be able to deal with this yeah <laughs> it's true and My last this, note for this chapter is I take back everything I said about her being smarter than Feyre. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, this goes back to her being a flip-flopping personality on a whim. Like, yeah. as the story requires her to act, she acts. Which is also bad writing, kids. Mm -hmm. Characters, people don't do that in real life. <clears throat> unless they are robots yeah but she's having sorry <laughs> she like when she's talking to this guy and he's like i'm the prince wrath of hell and she's like oh my god he's so terrifying ah and then he says that he's a, a demon prince and then she starts cackling like she's laughing hysterically and also she the... tries beating him up first though she's yeah. like i'm gonna kill you and she starts doing the like mowgli to baloo thing she's like punching him and kicking him with her little limbs and he's just like staring down at her completely unaffected like what the fuck are you doing why did you summon me why am i here yeah uh and then she's <laughs> <laughs> no, they randomly matching tattoos appear on their bodies 
little crescent moons with stars and they don't know how they got there we're not told why like i i listened to this thing three times trying to figure out why the fuck these tattoos just appear out of nowhere she's like "Ooh, we just get these lavender moon tattoos that match can you believe it and then it's so contrived <laughs> and she's like yeah she thinks she's so smart for summoning him she's like yeah like i said everything you're trapped you can't do anything without me saying so yeah. He's trying really hard to find out like she, what she word she used. Has this like unearned smug attitude mm. that she like I got him, and then he's like, "Yeah, sure, okay. What do you want from me? Also, do me a favor. Tell me what you did." And then she does because she's an idiot. He's like, yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll see how long that lasts. And then he introduces himself as like Prince of Hell. Mm -hmm. And then she is like aghast of how arrogant he is. And I was like, you have summoned not only a Prince of Hell. Like, we're not talking just like some fact checker all way down on the bottom. Some food taster. This is like big swinging dick prince. Yeah. And she's like, oh, he's so arrogant. It's like, fuck you. You were just being a smug bitch three seconds ago because you knew how to like draw a circle on the ground and say a Latin word you made up. Yeah. And how? How did she summon a prince from hell? She doesn't know. The book doesn't know. Nobody knows. She's like, I thought I was summoning a lower level demon. And we were like, we all did. She's like, there's no way I could have summoned you. I would have needed to be crazy powerful to do that. We'll find out later that it, he planned it all along because he always thought that he, I was drawn to you from the moment I saw you in those catacombs. It's going to be <laughs> horseshit. It's going to be stupid. I'm going to hate it, but we're going to do it. Yeah, they're definitely going to end up together. But, um, in, like, in, she continues to flip-flop between being completely terrified of this guy because he's a powerful demon from the depths of hell. Catholic hell, no less, which is way worse. Mm -hmm. And not being scared of him and being like, whatever, you're not so tough. And then she's scared of him again. And then she's like, fuck you, you don't tell me what to do. And then she's like, oh no, but he's so strong and powerful. It's maddening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they have this, like, banter where after he introduces himself, he's like, unless you'd like to call me his highness of undeni undeniable desire. And she's like, are you sure you're of House Wrath? If I didn't know better, I'd say you were general to a vacuous shirtless battalion belonging to House Narcissism. Boom! Got him! Get fucking wrecked, you idiot! Yeah. Man. I'm surprised he didn't just combust after receiving that devastating blow. I like to imagine, because when I read that, I imagined Harry, you know, typing away at her computer, and then she wrote that and went, fucking job well <laughs> done there. People are going to love that. I'm going to go yeah. pour myself a glass of wine. You know what? I earned it. 
I'm going to take the rest of the night off after that, actually. Like, I'm just going to go have a bath and think about what I did. He'll think twice um, before ever opening his mouth like that again. <laughs> yeah. And then they talk about how um, the the parameters of her summoning him have to be binded, bound to one another. And she's like, oh, my God, I've heard about this. Uh, normally, demons need to, like, make out with people. But, like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to make out with him. And so instead of asking how they're supposed to bind it, she's like, I'm not going to make out with you. And he's like, one of these days, you're going to, like, beg me to kiss you, baby. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, I also wrote down uh, one thing that made me laugh out loud was after this like back and forth banter all of a sudden she's like do all demons have to follow rules <laughs> and i was like oh okay i guess it's time for asking dipshit questions <laughs> yeah she just breaks out of her reverie about fantasizing about making out with this guy yeah like before before he even confirmed or denied that they have to like bind this agreement with a kiss or whatever she yeah. was like imagining these lurid positions that he would like have her in. And I was like, oh my God. Get yeah. a hold of yourself, woman. Because like uh and I I wrote down, damn, are we doing this already? Yeah, immediately. <laughs> She's and he apparently smells like mint and warm summer days. Right. And time. And, time? and yeah, time is a recurring uh, I think theme. time is just up her nose. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think she's just got time up her nose. That's why everything smells like it. Because mm -hmm. time is strong. It's a strong herb, but not so mm -hmm. strong that you just smell it all the time. She's got a little sachet around her neck. <laughs> yeah. In case she needs to infuse some oil on a whim. But an observation I made. Uh, was that these like last three like 10 11 and 12 the last three chapters that we read is almost exactly like parallel to what was happening in court of thorns and roses mm -hmm. like it's exactly the same like she is inexplicably bound to someone she doesn't like but thinks is hot anyway which as maybe this is a woman thing because I can't imagine being attracted to someone who I'm like, fuck them. <laughs> it's the classic enemies to lovers relationship that dynamic. can't be real. No, it's not. You, <laughs> but it is in this genre <clears throat> and in fan fiction. So. Uh, and um, he like starts negging her immediately. He's like, I wouldn't kiss you if you was the last broad on earth. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want you anywhere near me if there was no more hoes. To swing from my nuts, you understand? <laughs> and even if you were, maybe not then. Get fucking get out of here, you gabagoo. And this whole agreement that they create together gives me big uh true blood vibes. Like where Bill and Sookie, he like has to claim okay. her as his, yeah, so that the others the other vampires will not harm her because she built in this protection clause into this agreement. So she's like, he's like, okay, so the spell makes it so that he can't hurt her, 
and he also has to protect her. So he's like, you should make like a blood bond with me. Um, and then he'll have that Suki is mine, like yeah. claim over her. And she's like, no, like, I don't need your protection. Like I'm doing just fine on my own. Like, why did she make that specifically her spell then? Because she she built in this protection clause herself. It was done She's so like, slapdash. There's no way she could have known. But also, she planned it from the start. So, yeah, <clears throat> I'm not, I don't it know is... if the writer knows. We don't know. The characters clearly don't know what the hell's going on. It, it, no, who knows who knows. She she knows nothing about ritualistic magic. She's done no research on this. She's making it up as she goes. She's like, what needs to be involved? Bones, blood. But most importantly, like a hot demon, like the circle that he's in broken immediately. He could do like, why have it? Because there's no point. Everything that she has set up for this ritual gets fucked immediately because of these bats that fly out of a cave. And there's no protection in her environment that she has set up to bind him to anything. And she immediately is just like, I don't even know. Like, it's just baffling. And he's like, make a blood bond with me so that um, other demons will know that you're mine. Yeah. And all of, like, the extraneous details, the caveats, are all convenient if, like, how do I, how do I put this? It's all of the all of the the details of her being her summoning him and him remaining there are very convenient to a plot that would involve them falling in love with each other. Of course, it's like when people show up at a hotel and, <clears throat> and they're just friends, but there's only one bed. They have no choice oh but to God. share it. Yeah. Or it's like help. We're trapped in this cave together. We better keep warm. Yeah, it's exactly that. Because he can't leave her side until she rescinds his invitation to the mortal plane. He has to protect her, all the other demons that are around. Like, And he's like, oh, it's in my best interest because I need to find out who killed your sister because I think she was entering into an agreement with one of my other Prince of Hell brothers. So we need to figure out what's going on. I don't want girls to die. You don't want girls to die. I hate you. But I have no choice but to spend every second with you until you say I have to go. Yeah. And she decides to not enter into a blood contract with him. For now, we know it's going to happen. Yeah. For all we know, in chapter 13, uh, she's like, okay, we'll do it anyway. Yeah, he probably like would will manipulate her into saying yes. And... What's in, he also what makes it extra like true bloody is that demons can't enter human homes without being invited, which yeah. is a fun little vampire thing they added in. But we, I just picture in my head later because he he dropped they dropped in this little subtle hint that like he has to leave if she rescinds his invitation. So like I just imagine like the scene in True Blood where Sookie rescinds Bill's invitation from her house and he does the dramatic like legs aren't moving but he's being forced out of the door by some vampire magic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if that doesn't happen i will be impressed and shocked or <laughs> i don't know but that is all we read 
this week. <laughs> That's not good, yeah. boys and girls. It's not good. It's for now. This doesn't bode well. It's just as bad as we thought it was going to be, and in a insane kind of way, I am enjoying it more than Court of Thorns and Roses, but not mm-hmm. by much. No, but there's something about I don't know. I don't know what it is that makes this somehow more enjoyable than Thorns and Roses. Perhaps because we haven't finished it yet. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know how bad it's going to yeah. get, which I assume is a lot. For all we know, we're going to get like 13 chapters of this bizarre climax where the main character doesn't achieve anything herself. Yeah. And we'll know that the whole young adult fiction section is a scam and they're all just like writing each other's books over. Pretty much. But that's it, boys and girls. That's all we got. Mm-hmm. We're going to read... Do you have... Go ahead. Oh, do you have predictions for what's going to happen? They're not. I mean, the... <laughs> everybody knows the predictions. They're enemies to lovers. Um, there will be a chapter in this book that will make me physically recoil into my body because um, it will be the wrong side of tastefully writing sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be. The I kind don't know of... if there will be any of that. It feels too Catholic. She's fantasizing so much about like making out with him, like. There's gonna be. I don't know. I don't know. For sure, you don't summon. You don't summon a fuck doll and then not do it. True. Maybe this is like exercising her literal demons. Like she has fantasized about summoning a demon to have sex with, like. A shirtless demon with a snake, a gold snake tattoo. I wish Lucifer would like fuck. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Like if, but if he had to protect me, because like I don't want to be, hurt, I don't want him to hurt me. But like, maybe I could bring him here in a way that like he'd have to look like after this. me. And then... I don't like this. I feel. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for coming and hanging out, guys. Listen. We'll be back the week after next with 12 more chapters, so we'll read up to and through chapter 24. If you dare mm-hmm. read along, I don't recommend it, but you can if you want. It's on Audible. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys. <laughs> Take it easy, and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out. Bye, everybody. Farewell. <laughs>